Our scripture today is coming from Psalm 24, 1 through 6. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Talking about meekness is not weakness, and about how God can be a power source for us. Hello, everyone. My name is, is Scott. Uh, you can call me Pastor Scott. I'm the pastor of Bethany Community Church North. And this evening, Pastor Richard was hoping to be with you. He's not feeling great, and so he called in the pinch hitter and uh, drove down. I'm super excited to be with you because as we prep this this week, we recognize that this is a timely word. Uh, for the church in a scary place. And so we're looking at this series called Can You See It? as we work to create a working definition for us as God's people about what is the kingdom of God. We know it's Jesus' favorite topic. Talked about it dozens and dozens of times. We know it's the early church's favorite topic. For many of us in the church today, we don't know what in the world to do with the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew calls it. And to understand that, we're gonna, we're gonna be looking during the whole series at, at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6, and particularly these Beatitudes, which is the marching orders. We want to understand the kingdom. We need to understand Matthew 5. And so today we arrive at our third Beatitude, which is blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And uh, I'm excited about sharing with you. So you bow your heads, we'll pray, and we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for an evening of worship. And Father, as we turn now to your scriptures, we pray that you'd open our, our minds. You know, Lord, uh, we know that you have made us body, soul, and spirit. We want to encounter you in new and powerful ways this evening. To this we pray, and all God's people said, amen. So the Can You See It series, week three, Blessed Are the Meek. And the sermon title we have for you this evening is just Blessed Are the Meek. We're going to keep it simple. We're going to use the three questions in your outline. Uh, blessed Are the Meek. And um, this, was a, this was a tricky week to be studying on meekness. So you may know this, but all the pastors, the teaching pastors, we meet on Monday uh, morning and we study together with Richard and we write our sermons together and kind of we wrote these questions that we want to unpack today. Who are the meek and what is the inheritance and, and what does this matter anyway? And then in the midst of that, it was a, it was a kind of a crazy uh, week of turbulence in America Right, and, and uh, no matter how you voted, left or right, whether you're red or blue, and you know, excited about Friday's inauguration or not, excited about half a million people marching on Saturday for the Women's March or not, uh, 125,000 marching in Seattle, uh, it, was a, it was a tricky week. I'll tell you, biographically, it was a tricky week for me as well. Because I, I could understand about fear going on in the world, what's happening in Syria right now, and a fear about world powers, and, and I, I could also talk about what's going on in America. But, but when fear kind of moves into your neighborhood, it feels more real. I keep it just abstract. I'll tell you, super scary week with stuff going on, like even in my neighborhood. Fear, posting no trespassing signs, and, and my kids feeling very afraid about people coming around our house, and just kind of some, some really upsetting stuff. I mean, honestly, fear. 
My daughter looks at me, and she's 12, and she looks at me midway through the week, and she said, you know, a person shouldn't have to be afraid in their home. I says, who do you write? And yet this was our situation this week in my family. And in a much uh, bigger way for us as the people of God, this was a week in which the homes and the neighborhoods and, and, and the places that we inhabit, all sorts of fear, right? Because we're uncertain about God, what are you doing in the midst of a world gone mad? What are you doing right now, Lord, where we're so politically divided and, and racially divided and, and people marching? Do we stand? Do we not stand? Do we march? Do we not march? Do we, do we protest? Do we not protest? And, and then our social media kind of blows up with this, and it's a climate of fear. And, and I come to you this evening with, with this big question of my mind of what is our role as citizens of a new kingdom while we live amidst the empires of humanity, while we fear so much? What does it mean that this third beatitude commands us to be meek? I mean, you just, you kind of almost like play with that a little bit. Like if you were marching Saturday and you're like, blessed are the meek, people would be like, huh? Or, or standing up Friday because you're excited about a new presidency and you're blessed are the meek. People are like, huh? Like it's not, it's not something that we even think about. And so what do we do with this beatitude? What does Jesus want us to do? Jesus says to us through this third beatitude, be meek. It's a command, and there he says you'll find a new power source. And so as we seek to unpack what it means for us as God's people to live into this kingdom of God ethic, we're, we're a, again, where the kingdom of God is kind of a working definition that I've been using is it's the promise of, of a future eternity in the present tense. There's all sorts of working definitions, but the, the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about is both a promise of a future where we'll stand face to face with Christ. There'll be no more tears, no more pain. We'll, we'll be there. We'll know it. We'll experience him face to face, and it will be so good. But in the meantime, we're called to, to work the earth we inhabit and believe that that kingdom promise matters now, and I've said it before and I believe it. Perhaps now in a culture of fear, the church matters more than ever before. Like our testimony only becomes more strong in the midst of fearful times. And so Jesus comes to his people, he's teaching on the mountaintop, and he says, blessed are you are the meek. And it's very similar if you have your Bibles open from the first beatitude where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as many commentators have noted, within the first three beatitudes, Jesus promises us heaven, and he promises us comfort that we talked about last week, and he promises the very dirt under our feet. This is the kingdom of God. Future promise in the present tense. And so Jesus says to us this morning in a very countercultural way, he's saying, here's, a, here's an aspect for you to pursue. Be meek. Now be small. Richard talked about this a couple weeks ago about the, the seeds that we sow. And if you missed the kickoff of this series, please podcast. A very beautiful sermon that our life feels very small at a level because later Jesus said, don't worry about that. Remember in Matthew, he was teaching about what? The kingdom. When he talked about the mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds in ancient Israel that grew into one of the biggest trees in ancient Israel. So Jesus says, just cast your seeds and in your smallness, allow me to be big in your life. You don't necessarily need to stay small forever. You don't necessarily ascend to greatness, but the power of the Christian life is not what we ascend to. It's what we open our hands and relent to. 
And so towards that end, that's our big idea tonight that we want to kind of align under, that meekness is this middle ground between anger on one hand and disengagement on the other. And we hope to answer these three questions that are in your bulletin to understand a new power source for believers in Jesus Christ. We need a new power source. And Jesus says, tonight, it's actually in your meekness, this middle ground between anger and disengagement. And so let's look at who are the meek and and what is the inheritance and what does this mean and why does it matter anyway? Let's begin with this first question in your bulletin. Who are the meek? Who are the meek? Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And this third beatitude says the little people may be the hope of the earth. And the rest of the world tells us that power is our, is our social media status or our Twitter followers or our bank account or, or our looks. And Jesus says it's not going to be like that in a new kingdom. No, blessed are you when you feel small. That's where I will use you. And the word that Jesus uses here in, in, in Greek is, is very interesting. He would have been speaking in Aramaic, but it was written down in Greek. They use this word praus. Meek is praus in the original language when the Bible was written here. And the praus means, it's, it's a Greek word meaning humble and, and contented and, and being full of humility and being gentle. So you, you may have a Bible version that's, that uses one of those synonyms. Be gentle, be humble, be hu- humility, be contented. But what meekness is not is passivity to the point of disengagement or victimization. I need to say that this evening. So if you're in places where you're feeling enslaved in in an unhealthy relationship or or some sort of persecution, this command is not telling you to be a doormat. Meekness is not weakness. Don't confuse my meekness with weakness. It's not weakness. Jesus is saying in the prouse, it's it's an ethical word. I'm going to unpack more in just a moment. No, be humble and be gentle and know that there's power there. And it's interesting, these first two Beatitudes, they're, they're more passive states. When you're poor in spirit, Jesus says, you'll actually inherit heaven. And, and when you're in states of mourning, Jesus said, you'll be comforted. But the, the, the tides shift a little bit here with this third Beatitude. We have our first value to pursue here in the third Beatitude. You can be meek. You can choose to be humble. You can choose to, to have a new power source that doesn't look like the power of the world. Because in, in, in ancient Greek, this word praus, the same word, it was an ethical word to govern our behaviors and our decisions. And very practically in the ancient word, they would use this word Greek in a literal way, praus, uh, meek, uh, when they were talking about training an animal, like training a big horse. They would need to exercise praus. It was, it was humility. It was learning to, to govern the power that was there. And when you're training an animal, I'm not much of a horse trainer, though that sounds on some days pretty good, like let's go to Montana and train horses. But when you're training a horse, you don't actually want it to be smaller. You don't actually want it to run slower or to be any less powerful. But you do need it to have a governance over its power. You need to show its power under restraint. And when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, he's saying, blessed are those that know their power under the restraint, because the restraint comes in knowing the inheritance that we'll unpack in just a moment. Now, it was Aristotle in, in, in the ancient times that says, meekness is the mean between anger and indifference. And so the word, praus, it denotes both self-control and humility. I think that's super helpful. The meekness is this middle ground between anger and disengagement. What do I mean? Well, for far too long, like for me, I was raised into a, a Christian context. 
in a Baptist church that, that preach, you know, preach the Gospels, but we were, we were talking about heaven. And when you're talking about heaven all the time, there's, there's a sense of a little bit of disengagement on the earth that we stand on because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Or, you know, we become activists and we say all that matters is the dirt under our feet and we've got to fight for it and stand up for it. And, and, and so we, we're angry. We're not going to be silent anymore. We're not going to be quiet anymore. We're going to be, we're going to be angry. But Jesus' beatitude here, it, it says something else, that there's this middle ground between disengagement where we're not raising our voices at all and we're never upset with what's going on and, and where we're not constantly uh, governed by our anger. Now let me say this about anger, if you, if you ever struggle with anger in the room. Anger is often a, a, a response born out of something healthy in you that shows no restraint, right? Nobody wants to just be angry unless you have other issues and we can talk after church. But most of the time, you're angry because, well, I want to see you know, women treated a certain way, so I'm angry when that doesn't happen, or I'm angry because I don't think that I should be treated like this. Or I'm angry with my kids or my parents or my roommate. Like the anger is born out of a healthy desire. I want better community. I want deeper relationship. I want to see God set things right here on earth. It's a healthy emotion that shows no restraint. And if you, if you are somebody that struggles with anger, God may be asking you this evening to show meekness. And to understand that when there's no restraint on the power, the world stops listening. Because if you're angry all the time, they can't hear the issue that you're even angry about. They just experience you as the angry one. And so Christ comes to his people and says, if you really want to grow on this discipleship journey, I need you to understand there's this middle ground between disengagement and anger, and it's called meekness. Now this would have been, as, I mean, this is so countercultural on this day, on this week, and yet, in that day, it would be difficult as well. Because for the Jewish people that Jesus was preaching to, there was this pride in, in learning. And for the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, there was a pride in the intellect. And the Romans, we know, there was a pride in power. And all these are different, you know, kind of theological or, or practical uh, beliefs that the humanity could rise to a certain status. It could ascend to greatness. But for the Jesus followers, he says, it's not what you ascend to, it's what you relent to. And so as you receive my grace, your most powerful gift will be something you had nothing to do with. I mean, think about that. When you study the Bible, the stories of power, what's the power source? Oftentimes, it's not people that ascend by their holiness, by their purity, by their ambition. It's people that don't feel qualified, and God says, now that's exactly the meek spirit that I will use. I, I, I see it. I mean, Moses in Numbers 3, it actually says, Numbers 12, 3, now he was the most meek man in all the earth. And in ancient times and in modern times, we don't think of meekness as an aspirational value. But in the scriptures, when you don't feel prepared for God's best, that's oftentimes when God says, now I can use you. Moses, 80 years old, he's a murderer, living in Midian. He doesn't believe that God has ever had a plan for him. And then God says, now you're ready. Or, or think, about, uh, think about Gideon. I mean, the story of Gideon in, in Judges 6, 7, 8 is a powerful one. Gideon is out threshing wheat. If you don't remember the story, you can read it devotionally. If you've not heard it, it's in the Old Testament. Beautiful story about the power being something we relent to, not ascend to. And, and kind of learning the power of the meek. So Gideon was this meek little guy. 
He was out threshing wheat. He's a farmer. He's a peasant. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, Gideon, you're mighty. You're powerful. I'm going to do big things in your life. And Gideon's like, you've got the wrong guy. No, I'm too aware of my status and my location out here in the, out in the wheat press. God says, don't look at, at your current location. See yourself as I see you. And Gideon says, I don't have the qualifications. And friends, if you're in a place in your life where you don't feel qualified for God's power, that's exactly where God says, now you're starting to be ready. Now you understand your meekness. So to, to honor the point, he takes Gideon, he calls him out of the, the wee press, and he says, I'm going to have you fight the Midianites. Uh, what's our numbers look like, coach? Well, they've got about 130,000. Gideon's like, okay, what are we working with? About 32,000. Not great odds, all right? I'm not a mathematician, but that's about five to one, not looking very good. But what does God say? God says there's still too many because God is in the, in the process of under, helping us understand that our power will be something that we receive and not that we achieve. And so in number seven, this beautiful description of what happens when we actually are small, we understand more of God's power. Early in the morning, this is Judges 7, a Gideon and his men camped at the spring, the camp of Midian. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men, 32,000 against 130,000. You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. And this is God's quote, my own strength has saved me. Man, I could spend all night preaching Judges 7 to you guys. Because this is many of our faith pursuits. My own strength has saved me. I'm doing my morning devotions. I'm choosing holiness in my relationship. I'm going to serve the less fortunate. I'm doing the good things, God. That's not where our qualification comes from. It's not. Because God says here that, that he doesn't want us to believe that our own strength has saved us. So God tells him in Judges 7, 3, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. And so 22,000 men left, 10,000 remain. Again, 130, now we're down to 10. I mean, if I'm Gideon, I'm freaking out right now. I'd be better off as a farmer back home. But what does God say? There are still, Judges 7, 4, I'm reading the Bible here, too many men. Take them down to the water and I'll thin them out for you there. God's in the act of work. I mean, God is, can be hilarious sometimes, right? It doesn't feel like it when you're in these thinning out spaces, but God's tactics, holy cow. God says, I'll thin them out even more. 10,000, too many. Take them down to the water. God is in the active process of thinning them out. And, and then Gideon took his men to the water and the Lord said, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. What in the world does that even mean? Well, I've got some hunches. Like God says, I'll thin them out more because I don't want you to live life thinking it's your power. And God says, it's my power working in you. There's a new power source. So take them down to the water. And some of those kneeled. And in ancient military training, you're always walking. These, you know, this is several thousand years ago, right? So you're, you're walking from place to place. But even when you're drinking water, you're kind of heads up. You're using your tactical thinking. You're kind of prepared for whatever could come. But God says, take those that cup their hands and drink, drink out of their cupped hands lapping like dogs. And we're not sure the posture here. If, if they're just so thirsty, they just run right up and cup it and lick. Or if they're like face down in it. But here's the point. God says, I'll take the thirsty ones. I'll take the thirsty ones. 
I'll take those that aren't trying to kind of plan and strategize. And even with the 300, they're, they're kind of making their plans. God says, give me the thirsty ones. Or as Luke says about this same beatitude, when you're hungry, you should be filled. Okay, if you're thirsty tonight, you need God to show up in a practical way. You're lonely, you're hurting, you're uncertain about what's going on in America, you're confused. Well, welcome to the club. And in your thirst, may you find the one person who can quench you. Jesus Christ, your Lord. It's the thirsty ones he's after. The thirsty ones. And God says, this is how I'm going to work. It says, in your humility and in your littleness, you'll find new power. 1 Peter 3 says, rather should be your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is a great worth in God's sight. And so just a couple thoughts here when we kind of unpack who are the meek. Two simple thoughts. But meek people, number one, they let their humility be their power source. That their humility could actually be their power source and their boldness uh, without hubris. That they want to be called into action for the kingdom. They want to be called into battle for the Lord. They want to, they want to march. They want to stand. They want to, they want to do the kingdom of God things. But they're going to do it out of their humility. Not out of their pride. Not out of their arrogance. Not out of their assent. But out of their relent. Because humble people know that without God, they're nothing. What do you think Gideon's perspective was after this battle? Hey, we're going to be okay. God's got this. The numbers got smaller and his faith got bigger. And James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by the good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And if we want to be like these, these, these fine horses in training, we need to know that our power comes under restraint. And the meekness is this middle road between anger and disengagement. It comes from wisdom. God, let me be humble and let that be a power source. The second thing comes from this command to meekness is that meek people are content from their confidence. They're, they're content from their confidence. And most scholars think that Jesus was drawing heavily from Psalm 37 when he wrote, or when he spoke, Matthew 5, because in Psalm 37, the psalmist says, refrain from anger and, do, and turn from wrath, do not fret, because it doesn't lead to where you're going. And so Jesus is saying us this, this evening that meek people are content from their confidence, like the animal that's in training. We need to be confident, not out of that which we can do without God, but what we are available for him to do in us and through us. And that breeds contentment. And that breeds, even though my, my numbers are thinning out, God, in my relationships, in my workplace, in my school, God, you're in this, this act of thinning out that can be very painful, very painful. If you, don't, if you don't trust me, listen to last week's morning sermon that was preached at every campus. Like Jesus also says, you'll mourn. There's no promise of the easy life and the life of faith. But he said last week you'll be comforted. And this week he says, in the midst of living small, that's where you become powerful. And that's where your contentment grows. Exactly in the midst of the story that God has already set you in. We can all envision a different story with a bigger army, with better numbers, with a better calling. And God's saying, I've got you right where I want you. And Eugene Peterson in the message translated this verse in this way, blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. And so if you're a, if you're a meek person tonight, if you're somewhere in this middle ground of feeling thinned out, just know that God is on the side of the underdog. He's got this. He's got this. 
I mean, it should be no surprise when we look into our politics or look at, into the world affairs that we feel as believers that we're worried and we're full of fear and, and we're not sure what God's doing and this is exactly the time when our hope in Christ is meant to grow. And so let's look at the second question. What, is the, what are the, the meek inherit? What is the inheritance promised here? It's very simple in Matthew 5.5. 5. The meek will inherit the earth, the whole earth. And this word, the Greek word here for inheritance is a word called klaroneo. It's to mean uh, to be an heir, both literally and figuratively in the present tense. And so Jesus says, blessed are you and your meek. You will, you will literally inherit the land and you will inherit that hope now. The earth here is this other word called ghee, which is dirt and land. So Matthew 5, 3, blessed are you poor in spirit, you'll inherit heaven. And then Jesus again today, blessed are you and your meek, you will literally become owners of the land. And land in that culture, of course, huge, huge, huge. Jesus is preaching that to people likely surrounded by Roman guards. So they don't even own the land then. And so Jesus is telling them this hopeful message and they're looking all around saying, all we see is empire and you're telling us we'll be owners of the land? Jesus says, exactly. Because before the Romans, there was the Greeks, before the Greeks, the Assyrians, before the Assyrians, the Persians, before the Persians, the Babylonians, before the Babylonians, the northern tribes. Do you understand? There'll be other empires. There'll be other leaders. There'll be other issues. But may we be responding in faith. May we be the meek ones between anger and indifference. This is our inheritance. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 20, the last will be first. And in Matthew 23, he says, all who humble themselves will be exalted. You'll have a piece of the pie. You'll actually own the dirt under your very feet. Some years ago, I was able to travel with my family uh, to a village in Honduras that we had been partnered with, with Agros. Agros is a Seattle-based ministry uh, trying to get uh, hands uh, of the rural, rural working poor in Central America, get them land. Because in the, in the country of Honduras, about seven families own about 90% of the land. And so a lot of the working poor in Honduras are born and raised and they know they'll never be landowners. And so Agros works to buy land and villages and then turn it over to people working there that are working to pay off the debt. It's beautiful. And we traveled there and we met these people. And you understand in a deeper way in the third world, this hope of land, man, it's transformative for their whole spirit. And now their kids are gathered in community school, and now there's community health that's coming in, and, and the men are working so hard. This isn't an easy passage. Nothing's easy about the calling of Christ in our lives. But there's a hopefulness that's springing up in these villages of Agros in Central America, and there's this hopefulness springing to us tonight through the beatitude that blessed is your meekness. In the meekness, you'll find your inheritance. You'll be an heir of the very dirt you stand on. This is, reminds us of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so just a side point, but a deeply significant one, we are called to be really stewarding the gift of the actual dirt and the actual land. And for far too long, the church was pretty disengaged with what was going on you know, in our cities and, and, and in the lands and in the, and in the farms because we would kind of were focused on that, on that future hope. Remember, the kingdom of God is the future hope in the present tense. We're called to care deeply about what's going on in the dirt under our feet. Jesus says, you'll be an heir. And all these Hebrew people sitting around, their, their great hero, Moses, who never entered the land. He never got to enter the land. And, and Moses, remember, Numbers 12, was, was very meek, more than all the men on the earth. Jesus says, more than even Moses, you'll inherit the land. You've got a hopefulness and an inheritance 
and something to, to, to caretake and to steward. You've inherited something incredibly valuable, says Jesus, and nothing will take that away no matter the fear that surrounds. And so know that your life counts and do not be overcome with anger to the point that you're no longer actively working on the issue that you care deeply about, nor be disengaged to the point that you're not caretaking for justice and stewardship where people that want a voice counted. How do we do that? Blessed are the meek. And in your meekness, find your inheritance. I was reading this week one scholar about this, and, and he writes this, and you just got to listen to this. It's pretty powerful. The scholar says, Jesus' message of the coming of the kingdom of heaven was a political message that had a social undercurrent. He's preaching that Roman Empire all around, right? It, it was a political message then with a social undercurrent that bringing down the subordinating and exploitive power structure would be achieved by those who challenged the status quo by changing themselves from the inside and beginning to live differently. I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly complex and, and convicting. Because I can march on, on the weekend for Martin Luther King, and that's a good and valuable thing because we love Dr. King's work, and as a church, we want to be actively working for reconciliation and justice, not in the future hope, in the present tense. And, and you know, 130,000 women and men marching in Seattle for, for women being treated as equals, we're about that too. But friends, our calling as people of God is that, that this would reign in us first, and that somehow in our transformation that we would become evangelists of what Jesus wants to do in the earth. Around justice and around gender, but around all humans. That they would come to worship Christ. And so we have this calling that this, this attitude of meekness would actually take up residence in this. This is our inheritance. And invest in the present. I had this friend once, good friend, good buddy. And he was always talking about inheritance. Like, it was just kind of, I mean, it kind of got funny, and our buddies would tease him, but he's like, you know, this amount of inheritance might be left, and there'd be, I mean, he, he would talk about it a fair bit, actually. But it didn't change his present tense. It didn't change his relationships. It didn't change what he was pursuing. He was just sitting around waiting, and I, I can't tell you all the story because it's a confidential one. It didn't come to pass. Like we're just sitting around waiting for my, what might come when the heavens come. Jesus is saying, you're missing some of the point. I want you to live into this ethic now. This is your inheritance in the present tense, so live into it. And that leads us into this third question. Why does this matter anyway? What does any of this actually matter? Meekness on this week in America? Meekness this week in my neighborhood with what's going on and, and block watches and people driving around and all this fear? Well, this is our calling. And Jesus, remember in his ministry, at the end of Matthew 4, he began his ministry, and guess what he was teaching about? The kingdom of heaven. And then he called his disciples because the church is always calling people to, to believe and to begin that discipleship journey with Jesus. In the beginning of Matthew 5, Jesus gathers people and he heals them because before Jesus teaches them, he wants to heal them. Before Jesus changes how they think, he wants their bodies to encounter his, his power. And then he goes up the hill and he says, now I have some words for you to follow. I've got some hard teachings for you. So, so why does this matter? Well, I, I can just start with, this is a really hard teaching, right? 
These other first two, poor in spirit, mourn. This is these passive states that we may find ourselves in and out of. We will all mourn at times. We will all feel poor in spirit at times. You say, I'm with you then, but be meek. This is an aspirational value. In your actions, in your rising, in your standing, in your issues of authority, be meek. I mean, later in the same sermon, Jesus would say, you know, when, when a soldier asks you to carry their gear, walk the extra mile. What did the phrase come from? In the ancient world, in the Roman Empire, any soldier, because they would walk from base to base, they were, you know, and they would carry all their body armor and their sword, and so they would come to a subject of the land that they were, had conquered, and say, you, and you were, you were by, the, by the constitution of the Roman Empire, you were dictated that you would legally have to carry the gear for how long? For one mile. But Jesus says, for my people, carry it too. Because they'll see more in your resistance by, by your meekness than in just rushing to anger. And it's a long game, says Jesus. And trust me. And, and, and other times, Jesus is saying, just, you know, made this meekness at times move you to action. We don't need to be angry, but we need to stand up for, for people that are being subjugated. Jesus is saying, know that there's this power source. When do we stand? When do we fight? Jesus says, trust me. May your meekness govern you. May you govern your strength and know that your inheritance is the whole earth. One of the personal heroes of Pastor Richard, he brought it up Monday, we're studying, he talks about her often, is Sophie Scholl, a leader of the German resistance to Hitler and his rise to power. Uh, it, she was 20 years old, 21 when she was put to death. And they knew from studying scriptures that what was going on around them was not right. Were they meek? Well, they were persistent and they were wise and they let Jesus govern their actions and they started to speak out about totalitarianism and the empire. And, and she was taken into an exam room. And later when she, when she stood in court, she had a broken leg from her interrogation. Like, let your mind go there a little bit. Many say that it was her persistence in the face of a dominating power that actually changed her interrogator's life. He saw something in her. And we walk this middle ground, friends between the indifference and the constant anger to know how it is that we walk in the manner of faith. This is what Paul says in Matthew, or Ephesians 4, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Not the calling that you've ascended, not the calling that you've earned yourself, not, not this promise that life will always be easy and the sin is always nonstop. No, Paul says, you're a prisoner for the Lord, live the life worthy of the calling you have received. And he continues on, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be meek and live a life worthy of our calling. And so as we kind of take a, a turn from home here, how does this become practical? Understand that meekness is not weakness. The meekness is this restraint of knowing when we stand and when we speak, we do so for God's power and not our own. We don't want to be leaders of a movement that don't have God at the center. And we can stand for justice. We should stand for justice, but we should stand for Christ first and most, that his power is working through us, that we become an army of the anonymous. We become little people with these little seeds. We become the Gideons. What, God, me? We were humble. And when God is in the act of thinning us out, we say, God, now I know I need you more than ever. And so if you're in a culture of fear, if you're experiencing things like I am this week that just feel super overwhelming, may a reminder be encouragement. God's got this. And when you feel small, God says that's the beginning to understand that I will work in you and through you 
Our meekness is not weakness. There's nothing weak about standing up to injustice. There's nothing weak saying to our youth that it really matters that you fall in love with Jesus. There's nothing weak about saying this isn't the way it should be. But may it take up residence in us and through us. May our lives be transformed by the truth of Christ here. And may we wrestle with this because we don't come to this easy. May we be cautiously courageous walking this road between the anger and the indifference. So my kids this week and these experiences of fear, I mean, like I said, I can't tell you a lot, but I'll just tell you it's real. It's been a really, really scary week. And so my son, he's like, you know, really wrestling with this, and I can't sleep, and, and just fear, 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 fear. And he says, how, how do we know that we're going to be okay I finally just had to, you know, kind of by the end of the week, I finally just, you know, had to kind of grab him and and just remind him, you're going to be okay because I'm going to take care of you. Like, I'm going to lock the doors, I'm going to post the signs, we'll we'll, we'll be wise with our decisions, but you got to know that nobody's going to hurt you. How do you know, he said, because I'm not going to let that happen to you. Because I love you and they'd have to come through me to get to you. Friends, that's a super poor example of what your Father God wants you to hear this evening because his love is so much better than we could ever understand and his power is so rich and he wants to remind you, his people this evening, there is a power source to the faith life and it's him living in us. And as we wait upon God, as we wait and pause for God's power to to, to work in us, we can know he's working. This is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And the end of Psalm 27 says this. The psalmist writes, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then the psalmist writes, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And so we wait. And whether you've marched or not, whether you're deciding on how to react on Facebook or not, it's not the point this evening. You're saying, wait in meekness. Walk this middle road and be stirred to action, but be knowing that it's my power working in you, my people, that will make a difference in my world. Because as 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And this morning, I'm like up and getting ready for, for preaching at Bethany North. And, and it's like, man, this week, preaching on meekness? It's like, God, are you kidding me? You know, and I, I, it was difficult and challenging. And I, I don't, I'm not engaging with the truth myself. And God gave me this word, you guys. Hey, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'm like, yeah, that's, a, that's kind of a good reminder And the Spirit said it again. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. That's what 1 John 4 says. And so when we're in places we feel small, places where we're not sure what's going to happen, politically, relationally, spiritually, God, what are you doing here? God says, hey, I got this. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Will you say it with me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Say it again, friends, and mean it. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. What is our power source? What is our response in the midst of great fear? It's Jesus Christ, who's telling us this evening, in your meekness you can find your inheritance. 
future promise in the present tense. Walk this road between anger and indifference and let meekness govern your life and may your hope be profound because greater is he that is in you than he that's in this world. God's got this, right? He's got this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the reminder from your scriptures of what you're doing in us, what you want to do through us. And Father, we, we take the challenge this evening to be people of meekness. Lord, it's a word we don't even use much anymore. But may we be humble. May we be content. May we be gentle. May we be kind. Lord, allow us to live our lives as animals under training, not trying to be small, not trying to be slow, not trying to be less powerful, but understanding that our actions need to be governed by your great love in us. Father, we, we want your wisdom and your power as we seek to live into your value of being meek. Blessed are we, for we will inherit the whole earth. God, it's in your great name we prayed, and all God's people said, amen.